today I'm joined by Cecilia Castle from Castle Lawyers. She's the principal in Asquith. Welcome, Cecilia. Hi, Tina. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So we're looking forward to hearing a little bit more about your practice and your involvement in the community. You um, you came to our event and spoke to the community about what it is you do. And we'd love to hear a bit more here today and share it with our listeners. By all means. Thank you. Well, I've been a lawyer for a very long time now, um, since uh, 1988. Um, that was when I came to live in the local community, when my first child was, uh, when my only child was born. And um, I graduated from law uh, that very year. I had been a school teacher before that for some oh, seven wow. years. What did yes. you teach? Uh, primary school oh, in the eastern lovely. suburbs Catholic system, uh, Catholic school system. So I had a very fulfilling teaching career, very fulfilling. I would have died happy as a teacher, but I had studied law part-time throughout my teaching years, and so it was time to swap over. I'd also married a lawyer, (laughs) Gary Castle, who is a consultant with the firm, and um, so it was time to switch careers at that time. And um, in 1992, I established my my own practice um, in Asquith, where it is today, and I haven't looked back from there but um, I've always enjoyed being part of the community. I've always enjoyed um, reaching out and um, participating in events such as yours. And congratulations, by the way. It was really, really successful. I hope there'll be more of them. Yeah, events yes. are a good way to engage with the community and that's why we will continue to have them and we invited you along. Yes. Yeah. And um, I've, I've always um, connected with um, the community initially with uh, through the church, through the Catholic community, and then it branched out from there to the local council. I became the speaker for them uh, for Law Week some many years ago now, and they've kept me on every year. Um, I was a speaker for the Law Society um, back in the 90s, and um, I did a lot of uh, community work with uh, Probus Clubs and various other organisations um, along the way. And so I've remained connected. I've, uh, that's how I've become known really by word of mouth. Yeah. And um, that's why it was a natural fit, I think, to have a column because you're in touch with the community and you know what the concerns are. Yes. Thank you very much. It's it's a great privilege, I feel, to be part of your publication. I feel that it's um, a, a great service to the community. Uh, you might consider it to be a business, but the rest of us consider it to be a service and mm. a way of enabling us to connect yeah. to each other. Um, I feel very connected to the community. I've met a lot of the other columnists, yes. spoken to them, and people have come to me through the newspaper and it's it's just broadened, broadened the horizons uh, for the practice, um, but in, in a community way. Yeah, no, that's mm. definitely the focus is the community. So with your practice, what do you mainly focus on? I know you've in your columns you've covered everything from wills and estates, power of attorney, family law, reviewing home loans, um, domestic violence, uh, when you set up a granny flat, how, how to how to navigate through that because most of those arrangements are verbal. And I guess my question is, what do you what do you see most most people coming to you with mm-hmm. as a lawyer? Right. So we do a lot of commercial transactions. All right. Um, we get referrals from the local estate agents, for example, for conveyancing work. Yes. That's um, pretty much a bread and butter of a lot of legal practices. Um, I stopped doing conveyancing in, in the practice some, some years ago. Now we have a dedicated conveyancing lawyer that does uh, conveyancing leases, uh, purchase and sale of uh, businesses and general commercial work. Um, I've steered more towards um, 
mum and dad issues in the local community because that appeals to me. Yeah. Um, I'm an expert family lawyer. I have been for well over 30 years and that's all I did for the first few years of my legal career. I just did family law mm. um, when, whilst I was an unemployed solicitor. And um, it's, it's something that appeals to me. I, I, I like connecting with people, with families. I like seeing them through walking part of their journey with them. Mm. And so um, I do a lot of family law. I do a lot of estate work as well, right. so probates and elder law. Elder law oh, is, is a elder broad law is yes, yeah. it's, it's, an, it's a very broad area of um, of law, um, which encompasses estates, um, uh, estate planning such as wills, mm. powers of attorney, and enduring guardianships. And that's a really hot topic <clears throat> in popular demand for the talks that I give around the community. There's always um, a full house whenever I speak about powers of attorney during guardianships and wills. Um, in, in, in that mix, there's the issue, the broader issue of um, elder abuse that is... Oh, yeah, I've seen that in the paper. That's right. It's, it's, it's not... The words elder abuse is not a, a crime. It's not in the Crimes Act as such. Oh. But one, it, it has, one has to look behind um, the scenarios that are presented to see what's going on with families and to guide people's thinking in their legal... Uh, in the drafting of their legal documents... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not, you know, in, involved with the police or anything like that, but in getting to know people, you can guide their thinking about who to appoint and how to proceed with, you know, their planning. Mm. Do mo- are most people still leaving that planning quite late or what do you think was the typical age group where people start thinking about power of attorney and, and yes. those matters? That So when, when you get close to retirement, everyone oh. sort of tends to see their financial planner. <clears throat> to see, you know, how they're going to um, live. <laughs> live after, after work is, is, is done. And financial planners are usually a great source of uh, referrals for lawyers to go and do something about their powers of attorney and enduring guardianships. If you land in hospital or if you're looking to a retirement home or if you're looking to downsize your home into a, over 55s, usually that enduring guardianship conversation comes into play because people need to know that there is someone there to call upon if accidents happen or if people, you know, need help to manage mm. their personal and legal affairs. Yeah, that's an interesting affairs. one, definitely. Mm. And what? And I know that in edition, I think it was edition six, we saw you write about domestic violence essentially in terms of what your entitlements are. And was that a special clause under COVID for ending a lease? Um, no, the legislation was wasn't COVID triggered. No, I don't think um, it was the legislation that was passed, and um, there's just a lack of awareness yeah. that people have doors that they can you know open um, when they have domestic violence situations. Normally, you think of domestic violence as having the police involved with yes. ABOs and and the partners get locked out. Well, this was the commercial aspect of you know rental relief as well um, mm. to do with you know being able to exit the home without repercussion or being able to um, oust your partner without financial repercussion to the landlord for the rent or the damage done in in violent uh, situations. So essentially what changed with, or is it, it didn't change, you were just bringing it to people's attention that you can, you do have options That's right. if you're living in um, difficult circumstances, uh, you do have options for your lease. That's right. So um, what 
I see my role as the columnist in the paper is to draw to people's attention what avenues they can pursue if they've got issues, domestic issues or practical issues in day-to-day living. And this was one of them. So this was legislation passed uh, recently. And whether it was triggered by COVID, I'm, I'm, I can't tell you mm. because I didn't listen to the parliamentary debates. No. Um, but um, it, it was of tremendous use. I think so. For, for victims of domestic violence. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's an insidious and subtle issue in the community um, that's normally behind closed doors and it yes. takes it takes a lot to bring people women out or usually women men men are subject to violence as well yeah um, but it, it takes a lot to bring people out and, and not have that sense of shame about you know airing their issues and seeking help yeah. um, and so if we can you know raise these awareness yeah it was um, a good article yes. and um, we we do publish as often as we can, information regarding the Hornsby Kuringai Women's Shelter. Yes. Uh, we always ask if they've got anything they'd like to contribute to the paper to raise more awareness for that Very in good. the community. Yes. Yeah. So that was an interesting one. And then I just also loved the one about the granny flats. Yes. Where you wrote that um, they're full of goodwill, where you set it up and you move your in-laws in maybe. <laughs> but... Um, Still, something should be put in writing. Essentially, is the vibe that I got from that. From That's that right. column, there have been many uh, incidents of elder people being abused or, or kicked out, or oh. when things get too hard. You know, there was, uh, and, and this is a true story. There was uh, an incident where a woman allowed her daughter, husband, and and their three children to move into her home. Right. Um, and things deteriorated, and she eventually ended up living in the garage. Um, with no toilet, and it was it was it was a disaster. Um, but that's a situation where there were no boundaries put in place. Um, yeah. There was no legal document setting out the rights and obligations of each of the parties to the equation. So, um, in those in that particular type of scenario, if what rights does the the grandmother have? It's her home. It is her home. It's but her you title, see, yeah. that's right. It is her home, and she has the legal rights. But what? is the bigger issue in, in most families is the fact that there are dynamics of relationships at play mm-hmm. um, and if, if a parent doesn't comply, for want of a better word, or a frail or elderly parent, then they might lose the relationship they have with their I children. See. So that's when the elder abuse starts that's to right. kick and, in. And, and if you don't do this, we won't do that. That's exactly right. we won't perhaps see your grandchildren or whatever it may be. If we leave, we won't see you again and you'll be on your own. And it is quite insidious. quite fragile and vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that what social workers tend to do is just to look at the wishes of the person that is is, is on the receiving end of the abuse. They might not even be aware that it's abuse. That's right. I mean, it, it can be just controlling. Um, it could be financial situation. Um, yeah, but wow. it, I think what social the, the, the social workers tend to do is to assess what what the elder person wants out of the relationship, how they want to uh, commandeer it, how they want it to roll out, and then try and manage. The situation from that angle. So it's it's a social issue. Yes. But where lawyers come in is before that. And I would encourage upfront, yeah, people to just look into what the future holds and maybe put it down in writing. Yes. Um, sign off on it so that you can have a point of reference when things go off the rails down the track. In the beginning, it's always you know the honeymoon period, and you don't you don't think about what mm. could go wrong. That's so true. And I guess in the beginning, you just try to do the right thing. And it's not until you continue on in the relationship and some months and perhaps even years pass where the daughter or the son um, become quite tired. 
Yes. I think of the relationship and yes. um and you know familiarity breeds contempt in some ways and that's I think right. that that's when the friction can come in. They take the whole situation for granted and they, yes. they have a sense of entitlement yes. and it tends to grow and, and get out of control. Another another area of law, if I may bring it up, yeah. um, is is personal guarantees that a lot of parents oh. give their children to help them. Oh, okay. People still doing that. (laughs) Oh, look, it was only a few days ago that I had um, I had two back to back um, where um, parents with all the goodwill in the world are are trying to help their children. And I always try and sort of guide their thinking to, you know, think that, look, it's their family home. I had one lady in particular, a sole parent of an only daughter. And um, and, and this only daughter needed the mother's financial help to be able to buy the property that she's renting. Right. So she's renting a property and which was being sold and she wanted to buy that property. And um, the issue was that the mother was going to have to mortgage her own home. Oh, no. To do that. And so I said to her, well, look, have you thought about your own retirement? You know, when you retire, you have no control over that home. The bank has got that home because it's mortgaged for you to be able to help your daughter have you thought about a number of, of issues? And she suddenly said, oh, I can't do this. No. So she went away it's and told... It's not a good time in your life to be mortgaging your home when you're getting yeah. older. Well, what happens if you need to go into a retirement village oh. or into a nursing home? Mm. What do you do? You, your home is mortgaged and the money is tied up with your daughter's um, yeah, guarantee. Yeah, that's messy. Yeah. And so she went away and spoke to her daughter and, uh, and the daughter threatened to cut her off. <gasps> so she came back oh. and she said to me... I'm going to sign the documents because my relationship is more important. Oh dear! More important than you know the money being being left left out in the rain, so to speak. And the daughter had said to her, I mean, they, they had historical conversations of what's going to happen to me when I get old and can't frail. And the daughter had said, "Well, Mum, you're not coming to live with me. I'm telling you now. Wow! Make your own arrangements." So she's on notice. So that's terribly that, sad. That, and that made it even worse. That compounded the problem. But yeah, because the mother didn't want to ruined the relationship with her only yeah. daughter, she went ahead. And so mm. they're the conundrums that people need to think about and that's my role as a, as a lawyer is, is to just Point open out. their eye, eyes yeah. to what, what could go wrong. How interesting. And, and then they make their own decisions. Yeah, that's a really interesting one, that one. Yeah. So, Cecilia, what about the reverse mortgages or reverse home loans? Would that have helped that woman or not? And, and what are they? Right, so they're a different uh, kettle of fish altogether. They're a different product and and it does a different thing. Um, One can draw or can mortgage their unencumbered home. Right, you have to own it outright. You're an older person, you have no mortgage, you've retired and you have no income. So there's no serviceability for the loan. There are um, lenders that have um, reverse home loan products that you can tap into um, up to a certain percentage of the value of the home. So they're limited in, in their scope and it's money to live on. They're designed as money mm. to live on. Oh, right. So then when people run out of their savings, um, they can create a reverse home loan to be able to live. And I had one a client um, this week, no, l- l- last week. I had a client last week that came to me with a reverse home loan and what he had was an unencumbered unit um, his wife was in a nursing home. Right. He had spent all his superannuation yes. and he had no money in the bank. Ah. His wife has dementia in a nursing home. He lives by himself. His children are grown up and left home. And so he borrowed on a reverse home loan, um, a sum of $40,000. 
to live on. It doesn't sound like much. Exactly, because you can't really borrow very much, but they're a very expensive product. Are Um, they? Very expensive products. So he was borrowing on a 5% loan, 4.95% loan, and the, the amount is never, ever repaid. So the nature of the okay. product is that you never repay the loan. And um, you can draw down, you can have a facility for, say, 40000 and you can draw down an annual amount of whatever you think you can get by on, or you can, right. you can draw down. For, for each drawdown, the lender is going to charge you a fee. That's right. So there's all these admin fees that are layered in, together with a compounding interest of 4.5 against what's drawn down. So when the person passes away... That debt has blown out from forty thousand to you can imagine however long they're going to live. Wow! And it's taken out of the person's estate, so it's a debt of the estate. I see. That's repaid when the home is sold. Okay. And the beneficiaries then will not get as much mm, um, in their pocket. Uh, yeah. Yes, because because it's been diminished by the repayment of the loan. So that's the way that a reverse mm. home loan works. Um, it wouldn't have helped that lady then because she needed quite that gentleman, a substantial it, it, other it, it, person. It was yeah. the, the, the gentleman, so it wouldn't have helped the gentleman. No. And, and I said to him, look, um, it's up to you whether you want to think outside the box, but if you, would, if you were to talk to your three adult children about whether they could facilitate money to live on for you uh, from day to day, he didn't have any pension entitlements, he didn't mm. have anything, um, and... And if they could facilitate money to live on, wouldn't that help their inheritance down the track in that they would have that nest egg of, of the unencumbered home yes, rather than have it dwindled by the blowout of the repayment to the bank after you That's die? That's a good point, yeah. So I said to him, look, just think about, you know, whether you want to sign. Other and options. regrettably his reaction was to me, I would never ask my children to help me yeah. to get by in life. Stigma. Mm. And also... Um, he didn't feel that his children would. He said they're not engaged to the extent that they would that they've got their own they lives, help. and I know my children, and they would not want to help me out. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, a, a sad aspect. Oh, that's very of that. interesting, and mm. maybe it's cultural as well. I'm not sure, but I'm very well connected in the a lot of the Asian community, and, and I this know this was an Asian gentleman. Oh, that's interesting because um, I was going to say a lot of my Asian friends actually do give their parents. Um, an income and yes. have done so since they've worked. Yes, and there are. And the, I've always thought that's amazing that's and right. very generous, but it's how they've been brought up and it's part of their culture. And it depends on whereabouts you're from, I guess. Yes. And I was surprised to have that reaction, you know, that he was quite d- definitive mm-hmm. about the way that his family dynamics worked. Yeah. Um, and and as you say, it's it's uh, the, the Asian culture is a very caring, loving yes. culture. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of time for Asian people. That they are just oh, the sense of um, lovely respect community. for the yeah, elder, absolutely the elders in the family is phenomenal. It's, it's ad- admirable. Yeah, yes, yeah, indeed. Definitely. So anyway, that that didn't go down well. But then again, you know, his children. One was in Melbourne. They were kind of disconnected Dis- from each other. Yeah, and they were not, you know, in the geographical area of where he was living. Yeah, um, wow. So that was, um, you know, so you get to hear a lot of the pain that goes on in families. In my job, I'm not a social worker, but it's. No. Um, it's, it's, it's a very delicate way of, you know, needing to handle people with um, empathy yes. and sensitivity, um, confidentiality, of course, oh, above huge. all. Yes. Um, but it's, it's, it's just lovely. I, I, I love my work. I just love connecting with people and family law is, is a magnet for me. Yeah. Um, it's very hard, um, but it's, it's, it's a way that I feel that I can be of, of personal help 
to individual yeah. people. And of course, I'm sure you have a lot of other services that you connect people to in That's family right. law. What are some of the other right. um, community services, I guess, that you would direct people to? Well, the women's shelter, as you, as you yeah, said, that you're connected to. Your, your publication actually has a lot of services True. that are there for the community. Um, but um, when people I have, people continually phone me to ask me a sense of direction, they, they can't afford to, you know, to pay a lawyer, they don't qualify for legal aid. Um, and I always direct them to the volunteer legal services that are out there. So they can contact uh, the Law Society for pro bono work, yeah. uh, lawyers that might just be able to do pro bono work from time to time. And there's legal, there are some legal centres as well that assist in that regard. For example, the Tungabi Legal Centre, I don't know whether I'm allowed to mention, no, but um, the Tungabi Legal Centre is um, a centre uh, manned by volunteers, oh, right. staffed by volunteer lawyers. Um, they're not necessarily specialists in any area. There are a lot of uh, law students that, that go there as well, but a lot of uh, lawyers wanting to make a difference, uh, especially in their early years of, yeah, of the profession. Um, when they're getting started, they want to reach out and make themselves known. And so the Tungabi Legal Centre is there two nights a week for walk-ins. Um, That's to, great. To be able to just come and just, just put their issues on the table and maybe get a referral sideways to where more help can be obtained and that's a free service to the community. It's been going for decades yeah. um, and it's a great legal service, uh, you know, that, that people can tap into free of charge. There are yeah. n- neighbourhood dispute uh, centres as well for neighbourhood issues. Are there? Yes, and um, uh, the justice centres and the neighbourhood dispute centres um, that, that I normally refer people to when they contact me on a one-to-one. Ah, interesting. Okay, so you don't always have to jump straight to a lawyer. You can look around. You, there, there are certainly see some what services. Else there is in the community. Yeah, yes. Perhaps we should have another look at that. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Put something in the paper. Sounds very interesting because I think generally people would not know, and sometimes you don't true. know where to start looking. That's true. Uh, and not everyone is able financially to go straight to a lawyer to ask questions. It's a very as well. expensive profession. It um, is. Very expensive. Definitely. But you can see why, because there's so... What does it take, six years to get a law degree or is it longer? Or? Yes, well, yes, it's depending on whether you do a combined degree. Oh. So I did my degree part-time at night. Right. So for that reason, it took me six years on a part-time basis, but I already had degrees in as a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Education. Right. So this was my third degree um, and um, it was, yeah, but it was, it was quite, it's quite comprehensive, mm. quite broad. There's a lot to know. And I guess you have to keep abreast of what's changing in legislation. Oh, that's right. So that's we have compulsory, area, isn't it? compulsory education that all professionals have to do their compulsory annual training of hours. So lawyers like everybody else have to keep up to date with um, mm. the recent laws and so on. And that's part of what of our ongoing legal education that is compulsory for us every year. Okay. But I, spe- I, I do a lot of family law. Um, I'm yeah. part of... Um, family law experts community. Oh, really? Yes, and so we have regular meetings. And I've made a lot of friends, you know, it's very collegial. Yeah. Uh, for a combative jurisdiction where lawyers are at each other, um, <laughs> it's good to have friends in the business where we can um, bounce off each other, uh, yeah. our knowledge and, and expand our knowledge. And we attend seminars together and we have um, uh, meetings and so on. And the, the, it, becomes, it becomes quite social. We share our yeah. knowledge and we share, our, um, you know, our issues, um, professional issues with each other. We, we know we, we, we learn about legal cases, what's the latest in the high court that's rolled out and and so on. So it's it's good. It's a great yeah. it's a great career. Yeah, well, I'm sure it definitely keeps it. you busy. <laughs> definitely. And where how and where can people find you, Cecilia? 
So I'm at Asquith. Yeah. Um, if they go to the website, castlelawyers.com.au, then all the details are there with phone numbers and uh, emails right. and so and on. And, of course, they can read your column each month in the Hornsby Green oh, Post. Thank you so much, <laughs> Tina. Congratulations. I think it's it's just such a great publication. Thank you. It is. Um, I'm honoured and privileged to be part of it oh. um, and I hope that I can make a difference to Yeah, I think so. I think already with some of the, the some of the columns you've had have been so direct and spot on that I, I think it definitely adds value to the whole paper. And so people are, you. you know, people are connecting, they're ringing, ringing me up for queries, this, oh, that good. or the other, and that's a great privilege. I don't charge for that. They just, no. they just give me a quick that's call. Nice. And um, to oh, follow up on nice. things. That's nice to hear. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for today. You're welcome. It's lovely to, lovely to speak with you today. Thank you.